Well, I just found out about 30 minutes ago that Taylor is dead. Taylor's um, dead. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Laravel Podcast. This is Matt Starfer, and I, I got two guys joining me here. Guys, introduce yourselves, please. My name is Jeffrey Way. And I'm Taylor Otwell. So we got a lot of stuff on the on the queue today. We're going to try and get through some really great stuff. But before, before we talk about Laravel and technology, Jeffrey has an important uh, topic of conversation that he could not wait to talk about. Jeffrey, what's up? Well, I just found out about 30 minutes ago that Taylor is dead. Taylor's um, dead. <laughs> <laughs> so Taylor and I have been obsessed with this iPhone game called Lifeline. It's, it's really cool. It's it's like the the old choose your own adventure games that we we would read when we were kids, where it's like uh, they'll hit some kind of roadblock and the guy will say, "Should I do this or this?" And then you hit one and then you just flip the page. But what's cool about this is that everything takes place in real time. So there's this guy, and in the game, his name is Taylor, which is kind of funny. And he's like trapped on this planet and he doesn't know what to do. And so basically your job is just to tell him what to do. So he'll say like, should I go to the ship or should I go to this weird peak in the distance? And then you pick one. But what's really cool about it is it all happens in real time. So he'll say, okay, I'll, I'll make my way there. I'll be in touch. And you won't hear from him for like five hours. And then you hear from him and he'll say, okay, I'm almost there. Should I do this or that? Long story short, I've been playing it for the last five days uh, I was talking to the real Taylor last night, and I said I was a little worried because he's sleeping in this cold ship, and I was worried that he was going to die. And Taylor tells me, no, you're fine. I did the same thing, and he lived. <laughs> well, he didn't. I woke up this morning. He's dead. So I, I have to start completely over. You didn't set up the proximity alarm like I told you, though. What is the, the alarm going to do for him? Like, I think he had a seizure or something. Uh, it warns you if the aliens... I can't give away too much of the story, but it warns you if there's aliens nearby. This reminded me of... I, so I just read the book The Martian recently. Have you, have you guys read it? No, but I've heard of it. It's this totally geeky book where this guy, basically, the author has spent his entire life imagining, like, what happened if I get in this really weird situation, like MacGyvery, kind of how could I get out? And he spent, like, since he's a little kid, he's been doing that, and he ended up writing a whole book about, if I got trapped on Mars and everybody left without me, what would I do? And so oh, he basically cool. writes like a sort of fiction book. I mean, it's a story, but it's a story that's really kind of the excuse to geek out about how you would use this to make that to make that. But anyway, I just I just open up this uh, the Lifeline. So it's Lifeline Ellipsis, Lifeline dot 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 on uh, on iTunes. So this is the, the the our childhood when we were doing choose your own adventure books. But it's buttons. So, so if if I'm looking at this thing and it shows 11:06, he says something and you respond. What if you can't respond for two hours? Is it is it is it like Tamagotchi, where like if you don't respond for two hours, he might die in those two hours or something? No, he will wait. But oh, once okay. you do, like he'll say, "Should I go this way or that way?" And if you don't get back to him for a day, he'll still wait. But once okay. you do tell him, you may not hear from him for a few hours. Okay. Or like he'll go to bed and you won't hear from him for eight hours until the next morning. And that's the main thing. Like if it was just kind of a choose-your-own-adventure book, I wouldn't read it at all. You know, I'm yeah. 30, I wouldn't read it. But something about, like, him leaving and coming back makes it so much more fun because you just take one minute 
and you answer a question, and then he goes away, and then he comes back. Huh. I'm just really pissed because he's dead, and I was doing so well. <laughs> Taylor, real Taylor's character died. My wife's Taylor character died. I was doing well. Now he's dead, so I have to start over. Yeah, I was really, I was really hard on my character. I uh, the first my first playthrough, I told him to. He kind of came to this like boulder cliff thing, and I was like, "Climb it! You can definitely do it." And he's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I can climb it. And I'm like, do it. <laughs> and so he, he fell and broke his leg. But the second time, I actually got all the way to the end and actually got a positive outcome. I um, finally got Monument Valley, um, which everyone's been in love with. Yeah, I heard that's amazing. Yeah, I, I had some de- design friends who were in love with it. They have like the posters on their walls and they listen to the soundtrack. It was a much faster playthrough than I expected, which was a little bit sad. I was just like, oh, it's over already? But it was beautiful. Like, I want to go back and play it a couple more times. All right, so on to, on to real things. Um, testing improvements to 5.1. So you guys have been doing a lot of work, and I know some of it is bringing in Jeffrey's work, to, but some of it isn't. So guys, tell me what's going on there. Yeah, so the past few days, I've been um, bringing in a lot of Jeffrey's ideas from Integrated into the core, which is really nice. Testing is one of those things in Laravel where it hasn't really received any significant um, improvement since really Laravel 4.0, which was, you know, a couple of years ago. So this finally brings some real solid improvements to testing. So like, just for example, in your test, you can just write like this visit and then give it a URI, like visit slash user and see some text on the page, which is really nice and really expressive. And then on top of that, um, we've also added uh, a lot of Jeffrey's ideas from his test dummy package that lets you do model factory. So a lot of times when you're writing tests, you have to create like maybe three or four records in the database to execute this test properly. And instead of defining all attributes every time, it lets you define kind of like a blueprint of what your a default model should look like with some default values. And it even implements or, or passes you the PHP faker library, which lets you generate uh, fake email addresses, fake names. And um, so you can create model instances really fast for your tests, which is, which is really handy. And I also added um, a few a few other helpers that are, are just kind of new. And in your test, you can do things like, say, this expects events, and it will mock those events being fired. So it lets you say that these events should be fired, but I don't want the handlers to run for those events. So when I visit this register page and fill out this form, I want the user was registered event to fire, but I don't want any of the handlers to fire because I don't want like the send welcome email handler to fire so i can test that separately so it's just a really it's all just a lot of really nice shortcuts really to make your tests easier to write easier to understand and it's just another roadblock kind of out of your way where even even experienced developers are i think less likely to write tests if there's a perceived um if it just sounds like a pain that so the easier you can make it then the more likely people are to write some basic tests for their applications and i think these are tests that are very practical and easy to understand okay i can visit this page and see this this is displayed on the screen that's a very sort of like a sanity check type of test it's very easy to write and understand yeah and i think that i think they're some of the best tests when i think we talked about this in the last podcast where people push unit testing so much when you hear about testing in the php world especially it's just unit testing people don't even say testing they say unit testing and that's great but i feel like it's it's not a good introductory for people like whatsoever most people it's like we already do manually test you know you open the browser and you make sure that when you favorite whatever this lesson everything works right so everyone manually tests you just want to automate the process so you don't have to do it over and over. So I feel like this is the natural next step 
Uh, people call it functional testing. Taylor and I were talking like it's it's really more just application testing. You're just testing that your application works. And why would you not want to have those tests, especially when they're so easy to write? So I think it's a massive improvement to uh, the testing facilities in Laravel 4 and especially Laravel, Laravel 3. And a, a big one for me is just it's in core now. You know, before it's like, if you want to do this stuff, okay, research which package do I need to pull in? And that probably means there's a different package to get one of the special drivers. You know, for a lot of these testing frameworks, you're pulling in three or four different packages. And then there will be some kind of like error where this version requires that version and you can't even get it installed. So it's just ridiculously hard. It's weird. Even for me, I've been doing this stuff for 10 years. And sometimes like with Bahat, I would struggle just to get everything I needed installed. So now in 5.1, everything's just ready to go out of the box. You don't have to do anything. So uh, I think this is going to um, introduce some of this this style of testing to a massive number of people who may have avoided it in the past. Yeah, we um we were using uh, Adam Wathen's factory for a while, and we switched over to Test Dummy. And one of the things that I've found, you know, in a lot of our work is that we um we basically create our migrations, create our models, create our seeds, create our factories. Like, and, and at that point, that's just kind of like the process. And it doesn't always happen like immediately right up front, but having a usable factory for every single one of our, you know, entities basically ends up meaning that writing tests for them are incredibly easy. And we almost got to the point where like writing tests for like, Oh, I don't have a, I just assumed I would always have a fully functional factory up and running because it makes it so simple to do this kind of testing that it just became like a, a like a given that like, yeah, of course, we're going to have a factory. We're going to write these tests. We're going to make all these assumptions. And it's just kind of like getting rid of that repetitive type of stuff. It's like one less thing I have to do every single time and doing all this testing. So I love that. Um, and do I, do I remember you saying something about CSRF changing, being able to disable it in testing? Is that related to this or is that something oh, yeah. different? Yeah, that's actually really nice. So, and it's not just CSRF testing, but you can actually disable all your middlewares, um, or I should say middleware, I guess, um, for for your tests. And it's really easy. You can just either you can do it two ways. Either in an individual test method, you can say this without middleware, and it will disable the middleware just for that test method. Or at your class level, you can use a without middleware trait, which will disable middleware for all tests in that class. And then that that's really nice because you don't have to worry about um, CSRF or maybe your authentic authentication middleware or whatever middleware you have added in there. Secondly, um, it's it's pretty common to want to kind of reset the database after each test, whether that's via um, database transactions or migrations or whatever. But just so that your database does not have stale data from like a, a previous test that's that's making your current tests mess up. And so we made that very similar to where at your class level, you can just use database transactions trait. That's really all, all the syntax is, use database transactions. And it will automatically wrap that each individual test in a migra- in a transaction so that um, no leftover data is, is going to interrupt a subsequent test, which is it's just another really convenient thing. You could, you could always do that by hand, but it's just one thing that just takes two seconds to do now and is ready to go. But the middleware thing is actually new. You couldn't you couldn't do that in Laravel five you, you, There was actually no way to disable middleware like that. So that's actually a new thing. Very cool. Um, one one other piece about that. Uh, if y'all are not familiar with uh, database transactions because you haven't used them before, basically what it ends up doing is it, it kind of it's almost recording what you're doing, um, so that at any point during the process until you stop recording, you can basically unplay what you did. And it's often used where you say, "Well, I'm going to do these twenty things." 
And if any of them fail, I want to undo all 20 of them. So that's kind of normally the use. Like if you imagine like a credit card transaction or type stuff, you don't want to change X and Y if the credit card doesn't go through or whatever ends up being. So it's usually basically tying a whole bunch of database, you know, movements, uh, changes together. However, in this particular case, you could say, well, inserting all the data and updating the data and changing all this kind of stuff in a test is a transaction. So at the end of each test, it rolls the whole thing back. And so that the next text test in the row, rather than dealing with the dirty database is back fresh again. So usually the ways to do that in the past um, were either a handwrite transactions, which a lot of people are doing, or B to kind of remigrate reseed at each test, which is doable, especially if you're dealing with kind of like a SQLite type database structure. But the moment you do all your testing in SQLite, then you have all these other constraints. Well, you can't do this in your migrations and you can't do that kind of data type. So the the ability to do full MySQL or Postgres or whatever testing, but using uh, transactions to make it clean and fast, I think that's going to be a really huge improvement. Yeah. So overall, these tests are going to be like lightning fast because to run it, even when you're like visiting pages and filling out forms and all that stuff, a server doesn't need to be running for that. So it's not like we're using behind the scenes something like Goot or, or even Selenium. It's all being done uh, through Laravel. So that means you're using database transactions. You're not using a server. You'll be able to execute these tests in a matter of milliseconds rather than seconds, especially if you were using Selenium. Now, it's true, like keep in mind... If you're not using Selenium, then you're not getting the the benefit of like testing your JavaScript. But if you want, you can still pull in the integrated package. The API is 90% the same, so you can still do Selenium testing if you want. But for the majority of your stuff, this will be exactly what you need. And what's really what's really cool also that we forgot to mention but reminded me with your um your front end statement was the really cool assertion that's new in 5.1 for I want to see this JSON returned from the route where you can actually pass it you can pass it a fragment of an array. So I want to see that uh, some JSON is returned that contains a name with this. And it doesn't, the whole JSON doesn't have to match that, but just I want to make sure that this particular fragment is present within this JSON. And it, it works really well. It doesn't even really have to be like in the same order. The keys don't have to be in the same order as the JSON returned. It figures all that out for you. And that that's actually really handy too. So you, you can test JSON APIs really easily too with this, not just conventional uh, forms and, and stuff like that. Yeah, Taylor, you did a really good job with that. For, for everyone listening, in my integrated package, the way I did it was actually pretty bad, but it was it was very difficult because if you think, if you want to make sure that JSON is contained in the response, well, it's like people could pass a key value pair, they could pass like a, an associative array, they could pass um, key values in a different order. So if you think about like how you would make sure that's contained within the actual JSON that's returned, it's kind of tricky if you work it out. So the way I was doing it is kind of just like a few checks, like check to see if it's this. And if they didn't do that, then check to see if maybe they gave us this. And it was pretty sloppy, and I was complaining about it. And um, Taylor figured out a really smart way where basically you you sort the returned JSON, and then you also sort, um, recursively, you sort what the user provides. So that way you can just do sort of like um, a string contains type check, which makes it a lot easier than what I was doing. So, um, yeah. Cool. Well, I know you've been spending a lot of time recently, um, both because of 5.1 and also just in general, working through documentation. I mean, you were tweeting quite a bit about the fact that you're basically working through the documentation piece by piece. And I think it both sparked you changing documentation, but also, you know, changing syntax and code. So, Taylor, kind of talk about what, what you've worked on there and what, what, what that's looked like. So, for, for 5.1, it's been a huge goal of mine to just have killer documentation, to just make it really good. And 
I, I, it's kind of fun for me because I've kind of coined it in my head, this documentation driven development where as you read your documentation really closely, you see things that are just like, man, that kind of stinks. Like uh, this could be so much better. Like things that are annoying really stick out to you as you read the documentation and you're trying to read it with the eyes of a new user of the framework. And so it actually ends up improving the code because as you're reading the documentation, you're seeing all these little things that are just kind of annoying. And that was especially evident with the testing stuff. And, and it's what drove a lot of these improvements is as I'm reading the testing documentation, one, it was just so kind of sparse and didn't contain a lot of detail. And two, it was just it was just kind of hard to do anything useful without writing a lot of code. So uh, the do- writing the documentation is so fun because it's really it's really fun for me to make the framework easier for newcomers. And then also it improves the framework itself, which is kind of an unexpected side effect of really combing through your documentation. Um, so for 5.1, I would say each documentation page I've gone through and I'm down through, I've worked my way down to eloquent right now. That's what I'm starting on this morning. Um, each page is so much more detailed and contains just uh, the, the examples are much more in context. So instead of showing you like an isolated statement, it might show you like a whole function or like a whole class that uses this feature so that you can see how everything works kind of together and in context with the rest of the framework, which I think is, that's been kind of one complaint is you get you get a lot of examples, but they're sort of they're sort of isolated, and there's no sense of connection in, in terms of how things work. So I think that's going to be vastly improved. Yeah, I've even noticed that myself. Maybe not with Laravel as much, but like I'll learn a JavaScript framework, and they'll show you some kind of um, API call or something, and it's like, okay, great, I understand how that works, but where the heck is this supposed to go? And you really don't have any feedback, so you just have to hunt through countless examples to figure out, oh, they put that there. That's where that's supposed to go. Um, yeah, I was looking through the the GitHub docs. I'm sorry, the Laravel docs. Man, you've made some massive number of changes. I mean, if, if anyone wants to go on GitHub and look, it's just nonstop. So it should be drastically different than it was before. I'm curious how you're going to handle Eloquent because that's just a beast of a component. So I would imagine that's really difficult to fit into just a single documentation page. Yeah, I've thought about breaking Eloquent up into multiple pages. Well, that's something I'll probably start looking at today, but... Once I kind of get in there and see just what's in there, I can figure out how how to manage that. But there there is just that's by far the biggest page of documentation, and it's such kind of a central piece of the framework interacting with your database that yeah, it's probably going to take me a few days to sort through that just by itself. Yeah, I um was trying to write my first API this weekend using um, Guzzle's service descriptions, um, which is a really clever way where you're basically passing either JSON or a PHP array describing the shape of the API. And then it builds it from there. And it's an incredible tool. And of course, Guzzle's super useful. But the documentation, especially as they've jumped from version 3 to version 4 to version 5 really quickly, is is tough. It's really tough to get anything out of it. I was looking through people's sample GitHub projects, and it just reminded me of, of how much it matters to have good documentation for, for 90% of the users. Because, I mean, anything just assumes that not only are you going to read all the code, but then you're also going to know, kind of be able to extrapolate how to use it from there really is a big barrier to entry. So I'm, I'm super excited to see kind of what this is, this improvement, you know, what change it makes for, for new users to come on board. Um, and speaking of changes that are going to be beneficial uh, for a larger user group, uh, LTS, you announced that 5.1 is going to be the first LTS uh, release. So talk about what motivated that and yeah. Yeah. So the the upcoming Symphony release 2.7 is, is an LTS release. And since we use two Symphony components really at at the core of Laravel, and that's Symphony HTTP Foundation and, and Symphony Routing. 
Now, the last Symphony LTS was Symphony 2.3, which was two years ago. And two years ago, it was maybe not as obvious that Laravel was going to be this widespread in the industry. So making an LTS release was not like the, the top priority, you know, to, to support these, these long-lived applications. But now, a couple years later, you know, Laravel is pretty is pretty widely adopted, and I get asked about LTS releases a lot. And so it's just it's just very nice and convenient that Symphony 2.7 at this moment is going to be LTS, and it makes sense for us to do an LTS because 5.1 is probably my favorite iteration of Laravel thus far. Like it's just very, it's there's not a lot of like breaking changes on top of 5.0. It's just extremely polished, convenient features. Um, and just, I, I just love using it, and I think it's a framework that's going to be really good to do an LTS release on because um, it, it's very stable. Because we've had a couple months of bug fixes on top of 5.0, and then we'll have six months of additional um, where 5.1 is the current release. And then I think for LTS, probably we'll do something like two years of bug fixes and maybe like three years of security fixes. Which I think Symphony does three years of bug fixes and four years of security releases. Um, but that that gets you you know two years down the road with bug fixes on Laravel 5.1, which which is going to be nice for a lot of businesses, and I think it helps it helps employees also sell like the, their bosses and managers on the framework because a lot of times employees want to use Laravel, but their boss kind of might shoot it down because um, Symphony has an LTS and we feel more comfortable with something that we know is going to have bug fixes for a couple of years. So that kind of removes that that barrier to people getting on Laravel. Yeah, and if you guys haven't figured out by now, uh, LTS is long-term support, which basically means this particular version, uh, you take your massive enterprise, you put it on this version, and we're guaranteeing that for X amount of time, all the bugs will be fixed, and for X longer amount of time, all the security issues will be fixed. Because, you know, often the bigger the the business and the kind of the more bureaucracy there is, the more likely it is to get in a situation where you, you can't just upgrade to every new version. You need to be able to pick a version and stick with it for a while, and so this is a predictability in terms of, of committing to that. Yeah, and I think it's really great for, it's really nice because if you're on 5.0 already, upgrading to 5.1 is only like five minutes, and now you're on an LTS release. So if you've started on 5.0, it's going to be really easy for you to jump onto that LTS release. So I think the the last thing we got remaining to talk about this time is uh, middleware parameters, and then think we got to move on for the day. So I know that one of the things that came out uh, when people were hearing that we were moving from uh, filters to middleware is... Well, the problem with middleware is, you know, you can't pass on any parameters, uh, so you can't customize the middleware depending on where you're calling it, right? It is on or is it, it is off, and that's all that's going on. And, and that's one of the reasons why filters have still gotten some use is because they could take parameters. So I, I actually haven't been able to follow up on this whole middleware parameters thing. I only knew about it when, uh, when uh, Eric Barnes posted it. So what's going on with that? So basically it works the exact same as filters where when you specify a middleware on a route, you can have, um, you know, you can pass parameters right there. So if you had like a role middleware, you want to make sure a user is like an admin or an editor or some kind of role, you can do role colon admin or whatever on your middleware specification. And that, those parameters will be passed at the end of your handle method signature. So your handle method might look like um, request, next, and then role. So it'll be passed at the end of the list and then you can check it and do whatever. So I think that that was by far the biggest complaint against middlewares when 5.0 come out is, came out is mm-hmm. how do I pass something into the middleware like I could with filters? And so I think a lot of people are going to be really excited that they can finally do that in 5.1. If anyone is curious, this is something literally um, a day or two ago from the time of this recording. We covered it at Laracasts. 
uh, go to the Intermediate Laravel series, and there's a lesson called Middleware Parameters. It's free to anyone, so you can watch it. The example that I used in the lesson is like, let's say you want to you wanna filter all requests and only show a page if somebody is subscribed. Well, then you can create a middleware to do that just fine. But what if you want to take it further and say, you have to be subscribed, but also you need to be like a yearly Uh, You have to have a yearly subscription. Well, then that's where it's like you want to pass in a parameter into your middleware so you can check it. So now you could just say in your controller, this arrow middleware, and you can call the middleware name like is subscribed or subscribed. And then you pass a colon and anything after that, you would provide a comma separated list of any parameters. And those will then just be sent straight through to the handle method on your middleware. And you can use that to to figure out what you need to. So, yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. That's great. Well, I, I know we started off with something with Lifeline, but I've just, I got to know, I got to know, guys, you're on a desert island. You have a single album that you can listen to for the rest of your life. What's the album? Uh, this is a hard one. See, you can't just pick your favorite album because that will drive you nuts. Yeah. So it has to be something like that you can listen to forever. I don't know. I might pick something like soothing, like a, a Pink Floyd type album. I've already done research on this. Well, You've great, because I've done none. I already, <laughs> go ahead, I already got on Spotify and researched this, and I saw it on Trello. And I'm going to go with 100 classical masterpieces. Nice. It's, it's a single <laughs> album. I figure that will I can study those masterpieces for years. Wow. That's really impressive. I thought I, I was like, I bet you there's some... Because when I think of like classical album, I think of like, you know, I, I guess they didn't make albums back then, but I think of box, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I don't know classical well enough to have been able to define one of those, so... You know, cheating, I would say that is true because I can get much more out of 100 classical master- masterpieces. But I didn't do my research. So I thought about my history. And it's definitely Joshua Tree uh, by YouTube because uh, it's already of any album I've ever listened to. It's the one that I've absolutely listened out. Thousands, thousands of listens, I would guess. Definitely hundreds. And I think I maybe did the thousands, which is no, maybe that's a lie. At least hundreds of listens on this one. And I, I never get tired of it. Do you guys remember back in back in the day you could get those billboard like top hits of 1987 and they <laughs> yep, would do yeah. every single year. I collected those. I don't know. Well, God, I was such a dork in the early 90s. It'd be like <laughs> billboard 1986 top 10. It would be the top 10 hits of that year. And I would have 87, 88, 89. So I would bring um, not that, but I, I think I would pick like, I don't know, something soothing like the, the Dark Side of the Moon album. Um, I don't know. I like Actually, that. no, that would make me want to kill myself eventually. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to take the fifth on this one. Yeah, I, I think the classical masterpieces wins because not only is it good and stimulates your brain, but it also um, has like the diversity of emotion in a way that because most like a good album is usually kind of themey, right? Like it's a dark album or a light album. But with classical, you kind of get a little bit of everything often in the same song. So it was a toss up between that and Justin Bieber's acoustic Believe album. <laughs> I'm Googling Justin Bieber right now to find his latest album. That's so funny. The Biebs. T- Taylor Did loves the Did he do a, an acoustic album? Oh, yeah. Did he really? Yeah, it's solid. Oh, he hasn't earned that. <laughs> See, the reality, I think what we're realizing here is Taylor is a genuine Justin Bieber fan. You can't tell if I'm trolling at this point. You're not trolling... Taylor's I, I, can, I can see that the fact that the wall behind you is entire pla- entirely plastered with Justin Bieber posters, so nobody else can see that. But oh, I can yeah, see that. Taylor, I didn't see that. <laughs> okay. Y'all are giving away my secrets. Too? Is your wife okay with that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been great talking to you, catching up a little bit on five one. And what do we have a definitive release date on five one? I realized I didn't actually ask that. Probably the end of this month or first week of June. We we have to wait for Symphony two point seven to be tag stable, and then usually like a week later we come out with a. 
5.1. Cool. Well, I, I can't wait to start playing around with it. I think I might start another side project just for the excuse of using 5.1. So, all right, guys. It was very good talking to you, uh, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>